podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. If you want interesting and entertaining debate on the Premier League and other English leagues, but from a show that doesn't take itself too seriously, then check out The Whistleblowers. It's a weekly football podcast hosted by me. I used to play football, Martin Gritton, uh, stand-up Mark Smith when he can, and music manager Gareth Dobson, who uh, always has plenty of good chat, being a Spurs fan. Um We basically get football writers in to have a chat as well, and we talk about the stories that matter in English football, whether it's on the pitch or off it. It's free to listen to iTunes, Acast, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Uh, Or you can download the Whistleblowers app, follow us on Twitter at Football Podcast. Cheers! Hello and welcome to the Chels. What a week. Strange times these are indeed. And here to help me deal with all that strangeness is Dr. Strange himself, a.k.a. Mr. Andy Saunders. How are you, mate? Not, not very well, are you today? A bit poorly. Yeah, I've got, I've got toothache of the highest order, so Ugh, nightmare. please be gentle with me today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling very sorry for myself. And of course, dentists are not an easy place to go to during these current times, because of course no. they can only do half the amount of patients. So no, I poor you. It's, it's, a, yeah. it's a nightmare having a toothache. I just don't, I'm, you know, I haven't had one for a while, but I, you know, they're just the worst. So um, I hope you get it sorted out. Thank you very much. We shall see. But we will soldier on like our football team and see what we can do. So how's your week been? Away from my pain, let's say, how's your week been? I, I bet you've been glued to the telly for lots of reasons, haven't you? Yeah, it's been a funny old week, isn't it? Obviously, we've entered lockdown 2.0. Um, so we're having to sort of readjust things a little bit. You know, as I've said many times before, it doesn't, it doesn't affect me too much because I work from home. But we've had the, I guess we've had the US election this week, which has been fascinating. Uh, I, I always find that fascinating. So I've been glued to CNN for, for far too long and having far too many late nights. That's been good. And obviously we've had a little bit of football to watch as well. So I haven't, haven't really got my steps in this week, to be honest. I haven't been out the house much. Went on one nice walk. But I've been doing like a thousand steps a day, which is rubbish. Putting on about a pound a day. Um, so yeah, I need to sort that out this week and get out and do some exercise and stop eating all the time double training for you i would say i would say so how about you but, apart from uh, your toothache yeah uh, apart from my toothache yeah things have just been i don't know like you working from home it hasn't made that much difference and i've i've also found that there's an awful lot more things actually happening this time round. things that i thought wouldn't be able to be done can still be done there's the it, it seems as though it's you know the small independents who are really suffering and and people in i don't know what do you call it entertainment um luxury hospitality, uh, hospitality all those sort of people that have only just got themselves back up and running are the ones who are really feeling the brunt of it um you know a lot of places are open and and i find that uh, quite surprising. I found the roads as busy as they were before. Not that they're really busy up where I live, but you know, it's um, it hasn't been a, a noticeable change. Um, it's just remembering that things are different, I guess. 
Mm. I'm just about to but, launch another big round of uh, Save Our Venues for Music Venues. We did, we did very well. As people who've listened to the podcast know, that's, that's a campaign I've been helping run for the last eight months or so. Um, and it's about saving grassroots music venues uh, across the UK. Um, and we've done amazingly well so far in that we've now taken 400 grassroots music venues out of crisis, out of imminent closure. Uh, and that's mainly through raising about three million quid in donations and getting or unlocking about 40 million quid in government funding. So that's good, but we've still got 32 venues that weren't eligible for that funding and are struggling and are at crisis point. So we're just about to launch that. And I would say to anybody listening who is a lover of live music and visits local venues in their area, write to your local council, write to your MP, let them know how important this is to you and and keep the pressure on because if we keep going on like this in this crisis, it's going to be very difficult to keep these venues alive. So that's my little plug for this week. Yeah, it's a good plug. I think anybody who needs help, I'll be happy to plug. You know, I mean, this is one of the most important times of the year. And I don't mean because of Christmas, but because it's the weather's changing, it's colder. There's all sorts of problems going on for everybody. You know, as we were saying last week about food banks and homeless numbers are on the increase. And I also saw today that more people have been evicted. Something like 10,000 people have been evicted from their places of residence um, in the last few months when supposedly evictions aren't allowed. So yeah, um, everybody's got to do their bit. And, and I've, do find we're in a, an odd situation whereby I'd be very interested interested to see what the numbers are for for charitable work and, and charitable donations over this period because it does seem as though there's an awful lot of things that we are all trying to help or you know some people are needing the help it's a it's it's an odd it's an odd moment in in life I think it is, and I, I think it's really easy to kind of just shut your front door and, and, and sit there and, and worry or sit there and just think, well, I'm just going to get on with it on my own. But I think it's really important that we keep talking to each other and we keep contact with each other and we don't just make our worlds really small and if we can help in any way. And that doesn't just necessarily mean money. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to donate. You can volunteer your time. You can volunteer on a phone line. You can you can just, on social media, offer to talk to people or, or just say encouraging things and i think if we can all work together through this we'll come out of it stronger yeah i think i think it's spot on and uh, talking of talking i we should just quickly talk about it must have been a very proud moment for you when finally icon hit the tv screens last week Oh yeah, yeah, that was a that was a moment. Uh, so those those of you that are new to the pod or, or don't don't know about it, I've been working on a TV series, executive producing a TV series for the last eight years called Icon: Music Through the Lens, which is a history uh, and cultural impact of music photography uh, through the ages, which is a six part, uh, six one hour episodes, uh, which previewed on Sky Arts in the uk um on friday uh which is great and you can watch that on sky if you just search if you're in the uk and you want to watch it and you have sky if you search on sky box sets you can binge on the whole thing otherwise it shows at friday nights at 10 o'clock so um yeah very that was a big moment i love that so so yeah that was uh, that was nice and for those of you that are outside the uk we're trying to sell it around the world at the moment so there'll be news about where you can watch it uh hopefully in the near future 
And even though you've seen it thousands of times, there's nothing like that moment when you hear the first intro from, from the reader about your programme on your actual telly. Makes well, it yeah. real, doesn't it? It does. And yeah, I have seen each episode thousands of times, you know, throughout the editing process. And, uh, but I've watched it mainly on my laptop or, or on a computer screen. Uh, so, so just even watching it on a TV, you know, is, is odd. But, but that sense that, that other people are watching it at the same time as you. Is, is really strange and gratifying and I've had really nice um, notes from people and, and, and some nice feedback so that's, that's kind of made it all worthwhile really Bravo and anyone who doesn't know anything about rock photography and, and music photography it's actually a great series and I'm not saying this because Andy's my mate I, I loved it uh, you, you let me have a preview very early on and I, I think I, I said to you within minutes of watching it this is my kind of show it's got great characters in it and it's got great stories never mind the fact that actually you've got great imagery in it the stories just link it all together so, yeah. so yes well it's, 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 thank you, man. It's thank you very much. It's 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 just rock and roll stories, and the photographers are as rock and roll as the artists that they're shooting. So you know, it's it's just a a bunch of really really good, funny, emotional stories complemented by incredible photographs that you know some some of which we we all know and love uh, and others w- which you know which you may be new to so it's it's something that um you know that 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 people will enjoy even if they don't have a great knowledge of, of music or photography i just think as you say it's all about the stories so no thank you man that's, that's appreciated no problem. Right, I suppose we should get on to football issues. We should. Uh, just bef- before we go into the games, I just want to pick your brains because something that, that's come up quite a bit over this last week is these soft muscle injuries that a lot of the teams and managers are now talking about, that they seem to be a major problem and everyone is laying the blame on the door of playing such a compressed season and should we go back to five substitutes in a game. I saw this interesting article about some substitutions and the the comments we've had are that oh well it favors the big teams with the bigger squads but they worked out in the whole period of five five substitutes that we used towards the second half of last season uh it was the lesser teams that used the subs more than the bigger teams interestingly enough what are your thoughts about these injuries do we need to be having a look at the TV scheduling, as, say, Jurgen Klopp and, and Solskjaer are now screaming and ranting about? And should we go back to five sub- substitutes? Well, I haven't looked at the stats, and they're very interesting. Um, we, we do probably play too much football, but that's always been the case. This isn't a new phenomenon. Any team that's in either the Champions League or the Europa League is going to complain about the schedule because if you're, for example, like we were, uh, doing a four or 5,000 mile round trip to Krasnodar and then having to come back and, and, and play a Premier League match a couple of days later, that's difficult. It's difficult logistically and it's difficult physically for the players. So that's always going to be an issue for the bigger teams, the amount of competitions they're in. But, you know, with that comes huge rewards, you know. And so you have to balance up, well, do those teams not want the 50, 60 million quid that comes from playing in those competitions or certainly in the Champions League? Um, because if they do, then that gives them the advantage to go out and, and buy the kind of squads that can compete in that. So I don't really buy it. It's it's Obviously, it's difficult, but it's it's always been so. I don't, I don't think if you want to play midweek, European games, you're going to really get round that, except to say, you know, you really should try and make 
make the, the the following Premier League games on a Sunday or a Monday, which you know usually usually they do. Um, so in terms of the five subs, I think five subs is too many. I just think it disrupts the game too much, and I think that you know you you should be able to cope with three substitutions. Um, so no, I'm not a big fan of the five subs. So I don't know. That's just a, that's just a personal thing. If somebody comes to me with you know data and empirical evidence that five subs will will reduce injuries, then I guess I'll look at it and take and take a view. But at the moment, it just seems. Well, we've had three subs forever, so I don't understand why we need to increase that, You know, even though the season has become compressed. That's my view. What's your view? Um, I don't mind either way. I think if it's proven that it helps players survive uh, and get through the season, then, yeah, I'd be, I'd be up for it. I do agree the downside is the breaks in the game and it becomes almost like a friendly sort of scenario. And sometimes you, you know what it's like. Sometimes those games where you substitute everybody, it becomes a different game. I mean, you noticed it with Chelsea the other the week because you get four subs in the Champions League. So it does change and takes time for a, a, a team to adapt to it. So I think there is a downside to it, and I think that's also why perhaps the bigger clubs don't do it so often, because they understand the, the potential for breaking the team into pieces, as it were, before you can pull it back together. So, yeah, I, I'm with you. Evidence that shows this will help players get through injuries, fine. As for the, uh, the issue of... European games and then league games. I, I totally get the Wednesday night, Saturday morning thing. That That is kind of a bit irritating, um, I would have thought, for the teams. I, I don't think it's right. Um, and I think they need to talk to the schedulers. Whether it'll do any good, I have no idea. At the moment, these are the rules. This is the way it is. And that's what we have to deal with. And you can understand why people are moaning. But at the same time... If you end up winning that Saturday lunchtime game, you probably think, I've now got two days off. Um, so so there's, there's so many ways. I, I, I honestly think it's something they should look at. But as you say, there are high rewards, and that comes with having to play an awful lot of games. So, yeah, nice. I, I, I think I agree with you on, on both sides of it, but would be happy to be dissuaded otherwise. That's I don't think we, we just want to stop messing about with football. I mean, I know that sounds like a, a bit of a Luddite view, you know, because football does evolve and we've spoken about that and we've, we, we've spoken about how, you know, mostly it evolves for the better because you look at rules and you think, well, they, they don't really work. We need to tweak them. You know, even small things like if it hits the referee, you've got to restart the game, things like that that come in every now and then. I don't have a problem with that. But when you're, you keep making fundamental changes to the amount of substitutes, VAR, you know, all this stuff that comes in and disrupts the natural flow of the game and, and, um, and fundamentally changes the way it's played. I, I just think let's, try and be as light touch as possible as we can with it and you know bringing in two extra substitutes as i say give me the data and then i'll, I'll consider it but at the moment i instinctively i'm against it fair enough and actually you mentioned a good point there about the ball hitting the ref 
aren't you amazed now that we've got this rule in how many times the game stops because it does hit the ref i i'd never realized quite how much it hits the ref yeah i don't know whether that's just because they brought the rule in and now everyone's trying to hit the ref i don't know i mean that's the other thing you could actually get a position whereby it suits you better to hit the referee yeah well i mean there's probably a level of unsportsmanlike conduct or something you know that that, that if you do that and obviously if you try and hit the ref too hard that's assault but there was one moment i think during the during the uh, game against sheffield united where it hit the ref and he played advantage uh so you know it's not it's not hard and fast but you know the idea that if, if it hits the red and it stops i mean that that makes sense doesn't it because sometimes it hits the ref and you know the, the other team get a massive advantage so i don't know i mean it, it, stuff like that i don't have too much of a problem with but stop tweaking no. it stop messing with it just try and keep the fundamental structure of the game as as you know as normal as possible I also worry that in this time where nobody can go to games, that they're almost trying to tweak it to provide more entertainment for the viewer at home. I don't know if that's true. It's just a, a thought that actually, yeah, we tweak this, we tweak that. I, I can, we'll, we'll come on to the handball thing later because that affects one of our games. So we won't talk about that now. But the one thing I do like is whatever happens, I like the referee going to the TV monitor to check. I think um, everybody likes that, don't yeah. they? I mean that just makes so much sense. And it's you know, they've they've been doing that a lot this season. It's worked in our favour a couple of times this season, I'm sure. But as a general rule, the referee being able to reflect, look, make a decision based on evidence that's in front of him, I think that's a, that cut can only be a good thing. Anybody that disagrees with that, I have to question why. And also, you can still hate the actual referee for making the decision rather than somebody in a room miles and miles away. Yeah, so. well, you talk, you talk, I mean, you know, you talk about handballs, and of course that is a thing, but there were two instances yesterday in two games, two separate games yesterday, where you look at them and you think, I'm not sure that is, but in both occasions the referee went to the monitor and looked at, looked at the incidents and decided that it was a handball. So at least you could turn around and say, the ball got, you know, sort of smashed into the box, the guy's just inside the 18-yard box, his arms slightly out, hits his hand, and the referee on both occasions um, decides that, that, that it's a handball. Um, but, you know, at least, at least you can say he went to the monitor, he looked at it, and he made a decision. I don't have so much of a problem as that as some spod sitting in a van 50 miles away making the decision. Yeah, exactly. So we'll talk a little bit more about that probably in a, in a few minutes because, of course, we had a couple of games this week and the Champions League beckoned again and it was a visit from Edu's old team, Ren. And I know it's Edu because Frank called Edouard Mendy Edu. So now we know mm-hmm. Edu's old team came to the bridge. Um, now, they've been known for being quite a stubborn team. This is their first year in the Champions League. It was our first look at them. Um, and it, it was a, an interesting way that we started the game because the first thought was, oh my God, Kai Havertz isn't in the team. What's going on? But mm. then, of course, the news broke that he had tested positive for coronavirus. Yep. So he was out for for that game and the game at the weekend. Uh, Hopefully he'll be back soon. Um, So, yeah, so Jorginho came in for him. um, And it looked like a fairly strong side. And, you know, one thing you look at the side and you think that that's our back four. That's our back four now. James Zuma, Silva, Chilwell is, is the first choice back four with Mendy, back five. You know, so that that's really starting to 
to become a fixture and a, a, a real positive for Frank in that he's settled on that. They seem to be working well together and the clean sheets were mounting up. Yeah, and you have to say, Frank, to be fair, even though we discussed, you know, what could happen if we carried on these poor runs conceding goals, the one thing we said a few weeks ago, the caveat was, we need to see the players that he wants in that side fit and playing. We we know we don't have that much defensive backup for because of what's happened in the last eight to ten months. So we know that Frank was right, now we know he's right, that once his players are fit, you will see the kind of team that we'll be uh, getting used to. And that's become the thing. It's suddenly become a settled back five. These are the players. Yeah, and, and, and I think it also demonstrates the fact that you have to be patient with your football team. You you can't be you know, foaming at the mouth and gnashing your teeth when we lose a couple of games because football teams evolve, particularly when they've acquired lots of new players and they have to bed them into the team and, and get them playing as a unit. And all those Lampard-out idiots, you know, a few games ago are looking very silly now. They really have egg on their faces. And I think it's just a lesson for all of us. Just be patient and see what happens. Don't be calling for managers' heads and you know, calling for the end of the world and the apocalypse if we lose a couple of games. We don't have a divine right to win every football match. Uh, We are going to lose football matches. History tells us that. So, you know, let's be patient. And actually that patience has has paid dividends because Frank's been able to, you know, to try different combinations and he's settled on the Zuma-Silver centre-back pairing. He's managed to... Uh, bringing a player in Chilwell that's an upgrade on what we had before, and and Reece James is developing in the way that we always hoped he would. So and and now he has a goalkeeper that everybody feels comfortable with. So 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 this is a this is a good thing and a, and and a really I think significant period for our team. Yeah, and I think we're also we now know in principle the majority of the time we think we know what his midfield will be that it'll be Kante, Mount and Havertz on the whole. I think when they're fit, for the moment, that is what he will play midfield. And the others will come in and do a job as and when. And by the looks of it, you know, the the one thing you'd say, that the the difficult part of the conundrum is all about Pulisic when he's fit. At the moment, it's not a problem. We know that it's going to be, you know, uh, Werner on the left. Then it's going to be... um, Tammy in the middle, and then Hakim Zayek, who I don't know when we talk about him, maybe a bit later, because he has just had such a great time. I don't think there's any reason to wait, Kerry. Let's talk about him. I mean, he's. Okay, we love him. He's a player that slightly came in under the radar because we signed him and he was unfit and he couldn't play, and we signed him a long time ago as well. Hadn't really played any competitive football since March, you know, since since the end of the the Ajax season when he joined us. Um, And he sort of came in and then then we didn't forget about him, but we sort of parked him a little bit as big signing after big signing came in and actually now that he has recovered from the little knock that he picked up in pre-season and is starting to play at the level that he wants to play as much as we want him to play and we're seeing what a Rolls Royce of a player he is and and how important and significant his signing could be for certainly the the you know the, the the mid to long term future of this club 
Also, what I think is fascinating about him as a player, I would, <clears throat> I would call him a conductor. He has that ability to... Bus just, conductor. Just, <laughs> maybe not. Maybe um, a, a, a conductor of orchestras. He orchestrates everything, I think. Uh, but he's doing it out on the right. It's, it's quite incredible because so many people who dictate the play are usually more centrally based. But that that pass he has, I mean, he seems to be able to just ping it 50, 60 yards onto somebody's foot. And you can see the shock in his face when he misses a pass. Yeah. So he obviously trusts. And I saw him in that after the game against Wren, I think it was. And I thought he conducted himself very, very well. It was really inter- conducted again. Um, it was interesting to hear him talk because he had the ultimate confidence in himself as a player um and and it wasn't arrogance it was just confidence about yeah sure i i know how to hit that pass i know how to do this and mm-hmm. he he was he handled himself beautifully and it was the first time we'd heard him speak and he's just football through and through he has you're quite right a quiet confidence about him which is which is great to see he doesn't really stick on the right hand side that's the interesting thing obviously he's left footed so he comes in off the right hand side and what what's happening is this amazing right-sided attacking force that we have with Rhys James and Hakim Ziyech where Rhys James comes forward and that pushes Ziyech infield and so he ends up being more of a 10 he ends up playing yeah. like a 10 and, and and certainly in the Wren game he he was very much a 10 I thought he was playing much more centrally than we thought he would um and th- and that's as a result of being able to push Reese up um and get him down there but how do you defend against Reese and Zayek when they're blazing one going on the outside one coming in on the inside good good interchange Hakim Zayek coming inside and coming in field rather uh Reece getting to the byline it's just fantastic to see and if we can replicate that with Chilwell and Pulisic slash Werner on the left hand side we're really going to be a force to, 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 to be reckoned with moving forward in the same way that Liverpool are with Robertson and and uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold playing off Salah and, and Mane and Firmino so it's it's I, I don't want to say that we're, we're, we're going to replicate what they do but the reason that they are able to dominate the press and dominate the game is that they can get their fullbacks up and push their creative players inside. It's so exciting, so exciting to see that because we weren't able to do that with Azpilicueta. We weren't able to do that with you know other uh, fullbacks that we've had with Alonso. You know we weren't able to push those wide players infield when when we wanted to and allow them to operate in the danger zone. So it's it's great. It's great to see. Yeah, well, I, th- I think we texted each other that, um, over this week and said, you know what, it does feel like we're a team now. And, and I, th- I think that's true. I, I think, OK, there will be changes and, and this will evolve and we will have bad results as well as great results and good results and OK results. But you can see now the philosophy that Frank has. Um, and it, it, it is, it's an exciting team. But it's born out of the age-old principle that you and I have talked about for months, which is you can't do any of that stuff until you've got a defence 
that on the whole you believe in and I, th- I think we're there with that now so yeah it'll evolve and players will change and and other players will come in and somebody will go out that's that's just the way of it but we see the evolution which is something that you and I had talked about a lot a few weeks ago all we want to see is development. All we want to see is evolution. All we want to see is coaching at work. All we want to see is a plan for Frank to show us. Yeah, uh, there's a couple of things in there. Firstly, yes, they're becoming a team, and that's great to see. You, you see the delight in uh, each other doing well. You see the, the solidarity on the pitch. You see the shape and the leadership that's that seems to be evolving over the pitch that's great but more important than that i think we're seeing a team that can compete at the highest level again and we haven't had that for a long time we haven't had a team that you think well if you put them up against the best in europe they're going to give them a game i mean last season you know that that Bayern munich game at the bridge when we got absolutely eviscerated by Bayern munich and we all came out of it going fair enough you know they were brilliant and we, and we weren't um i don't think that i'm not, not necessarily saying we'll we'll beat those teams but i think we'll be really really competitive against them with the firepower that we've got up front and the solidity that's starting to build defensively throughout the team with a goalkeeper that we know we can trust I think that now we can look at the league and we can look at some of those other competitions and say we should be there or thereabouts this season which is it's great you know it's been a while in development and and maybe I'm speaking a little bit too soon maybe I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself but from what I've seen over the last five games I can certainly see that development starting to yield results. You know what? I don't think it's too early to to be happy. I like it when you're happy, Andy. I'm happy. I'm definitely happy. Whether I'm right is another question altogether. Um, it doesn't matter. I, you know, I don't know. I mean, we, might, we might go on a losing run of three or four games, you know. So, who knows? Pick up injuries during the international break, the stupid international break that's coming up. Um, who, who knows what's going to happen? You can't predict the future. Football is a, you know, is a game that, that can, you know, punch you in the mouth, you know, you know very quickly if you, if you get too ahead of yourself so but the signs are there the signs are there that we have a team that can compete and a team that is unified in Thiago Silva we had lead we have a leader we have real talent real firepower real solidity we have all the ingredients to make this a great team and we have a manager that seems to have the backing and the support of his players so there's a lot to love at the moment yeah, absolutely. Well, in the Wren game, I mean, Tammy got us underway from another Reese James cross. Um, I, that, that looks as though that might be quite a partnership over over this season. Um, one, well, it was not that long ago. He didn't ago, get us underway, did he? Sorry? He didn't get us underway. No, I mean, ta- Tammy got himself underway. You, you know, he's been such a figurehead. Oh, I see what you mean. Sorry, he didn't, yeah. I, I thought you meant he scored the first goal. So. Yeah, no, but I, I wanted to talk about Tammy because, um, yeah, I didn't explain myself very well there, but um, Tammy is the player that we all thought would probably miss out more often than not. But at this moment in time, he seems to be doing something that no one else in that team is doing. And he's managed to take that central role for the moment. And Werner is out on the left. Now, of course, this becomes an interesting conundrum once Pulisic is fully back fit and and well and healthy. Then we'll see what happens. But at the moment, and it's something you always say, is no matter what you do, if you're not in the team, when you come in, you've got to deliver. And Tammy really has, hasn't he? Yeah, he has. And it's great to see. I mean, we've got two players in our squad that can do that, uh, Abraham and Giroud. I mean, they can both 
play a central role. They can blow, both hold the ball up. Uh, they're slightly different players. Tammy's a little bit more uh, able to to run at players and to dribbly. Yeah, he's a little bit more um, tricky than, than Giroud, who you know is is very much a hold up player. Um, and I think Giroud will will play an important role this season at, at certain times, possibly coming on as an impact sub. Um, Pulisic, Werner, Abraham, Zayek, Havertz is an interesting quandary, isn't it? And, and and I like it. I like there being competition for places. I don't see it as a negative. I see it as a positive. Um, Werner, I think, can play down the middle. I think Werner will be very effective in some games down the middle. If he ends up coming in off the left, a la Aubameyang or a la, you know, one of those players... Um, you know that that thrive very well doing that in the Premier League. Then I don't have a problem with it. And of course, that's something he did with RB Leipzig quite a lot coming in off the legs, uh, off the left. So it's it's not a new thing for him. I think he probably does want to play down the middle, like all strikers do, because that gets him into the kill zone um, a lot quicker than, than than when he's out on the left. But what what you can say about Timo Werner is he will score goals. He will always score goals. He will have times when he will do nothing else in a match but score a goal. And, you know, certainly on Saturday against uh, Sheffield United, that, that's, that, that was one of those situations. He didn't do an awful lot. But he'll score goals. And Abraham, I think, will, will play a role with him. And, and that could end up being, you know, a, a Son Kane type relationship where there's a telepathic understanding or a good Jonsson Hasselbank understanding. So I think that having players that, that work with each other, that complement each other can only be a good thing. I don't I don't have any fears about it. If Pulisic is the better player, he should play. If uh, well I should say let's qualify that. If, if if Pulisic is in better form, he should play. And and, and and the same should be said for Werner and Zayek and Abraham. None of those players should get complacent and be untouchables. They should play on form and you know, as you say they should come into the team, and every game they play, they should play play at 100%. And it's quite interesting watching Tammy and Werner trying to get a, an understanding going. They haven't got one in the same way as some other players have yet, I don't think. But at times you see them both drift, and it almost becomes like a 4-4-2 we're playing when they're both in the penalty box sniffing around. But mm. what, what was also interesting for, for Werner is... Um, that he ended up taking the penalties and we've now got confirmation because we talked about this last week we now know who the penalty taker is and I don't know if you saw it there was only one angle that showed it Jorginho got the ball and he went and took it to Timo and handed it to him which I thought was a really gracious gesture well I think he I think he's a natural leader Jorginho and I think the one thing that always irritates me about people that are down on Jorginho is they don't they don't understand what a great team player he is that he plays for the team he doesn't play for Jorginho he's always been a great soldier even under Sarri when he was getting all sorts of grief from Chelsea fans you know I just thought what a brilliant soldier he's only doing what he's been told to do by the manager and getting grief for it and I think he's he's a player that you can't criticise for his um, his contribution to the team. And I think that's really, really important in, in modern-day football teams, to have players like that, to not just have the flair individuals who play for themselves, and there's plenty of those. Um, Jorginho, Jorginho has leadership qualities, which is why he is handed the captain's armband on occasion. So, you no, know, good for him. Yeah. And, and yes, I mean, the one thing I would say about Werner, he can't keep putting the ball in the same place. 
he's got he's got to mix it up a little bit you know that that ball to the left to the right hand side of the of, of the keeper you know i want to see him vary those penalties a little bit although frank frank didn't to be fair frank always used to do that um so as long as it as long as he keeps scoring i'm happy for you to, to be the penalty taker my view on penalty takers is you, you you take the penalties until you until you keep missing and then somebody else takes them yeah, exactly. And uh, he seems to, it'll probably please him that his goal tally goes up with penalties as well. Because as we were saying last week, uh, I think he enjoys just seeing the ball go in the net because of his foot. Um, so, and he wins penalties so, yeah, was, because of his pace. His, you know, his, yeah, his pace and his nippiness, which is very hazard-like, you know, that very, very quick over, over short distances. Um, you know, he's done a couple of those this season. Um, and his... You know, certainly the first penalty where he nicked the ball and got taken out. I can see him doing that loads this season. Um, second one was, you know, was a was a pretty awful decision. I thought by the referee to not only give give a very harsh penalty against a handball that I didn't think was, but to red card the guy as well was. Uh, well, there you go. Was, was a, <laughs> that, was that's a shocker. Ex- yeah, it was. It was two points there. First off, yeah, I think um, Timo is now going to be that old-fashioned centre-forward kind of thing who gets tripped, gets fouled, goes straight down, goes, gets up, picks the ball up, goes to the penalty spot, bangs it in. Real mm. Roy of the Rovers kind well, of Alan thing. Shearer. Because I think That's what right. Alan Shearer made a whole yeah. career of doing. Yeah, exactly. But he has got that ability to just pull the foul from the defender because mm. he, he, he you're right, he's so rapid and he changes direction and that that just screws with defenders. Mm. But yeah, going on to the handball, I mean, okay, this is our, our our little discussion about this. Even Frank said if he were the Rem manager, he would have been unhappy not only with the penalty but the resulting second yellow card leading to a red for Dalbert. I mean, it the, the, this is I don't like arguing about the rules once they're in place but boy oh boy you know can't we make it simpler I mean how how can a defender stop himself sometimes the only thing I'd say is that his hands started off above his head so they started coming down in front of his face to protect his face and then once it came off his leg he was screwed um so you could say uh, perhaps yeah, you know. well, sorry, sorry to interrupt. But I mean, what, what I would say about about that is, I don't really care that much, Kerry. It's like it's an opposition player, and we've got a penalty. You know, that's football, that's show business. No, I'm, I'm ba- caring about the actual like, way we come to these decisions. Is that they yeah. seem ludicrous? I mean, we've seen enough, and we'll get them against us this season with the way. I, my, my point is. Do you think there's a fairer way of doing it, like it used to be hand to ball? Or do you just think, look, make the most of it. This is the rule now. That's it. It just can't hit your arms. Uh, look, the, the only thing I would say is, you know, and it's an old cliche, just let it be consistent. If, if it's going to be that, let's make sure that every time that happens... A penalty is given. Don't do it so that it, sometimes the penalty is given, sometimes it's interpreted as not. Don't leave it open to so much interpretation that football fans and players get incensed if it isn't or it is given. Just be really consistent. You know, there's an argument to say if it hits your hand in the penalty area in the lead up to a goal, that's a penalty. At least you'd be consistent with that. I'm not sure I agree with that. I think there has to be a level of interpretation, has to be a level of intent there. But yeah, you're right. I mean, somebody made the point imagine how many penalties would be given against John Terry. 
uh, in the penalty area because he used to throw himself around and you know put himself in front of the ball and often used to hit his arm. How many he, he would have conceded, you know, with these interpretations at the moment? So I don't know. I mean, all I'm saying is that I, I wouldn't want to spend five minutes discussing how terrible it is that you know the guy got a red card because ultimately I don't really care because we got a goal out of it and and we're you know and and it put us on the way to a win in the Champions League. Do you see what I mean? It's like I don't care oh, about the opposition so no. much, but yeah, it was. It's worth mentioning that it wasn't a great decision and certainly he shouldn't have been red carded for it. But, you know, hey, meh, we scored. Great. You know, that's all I'm saying. The implication is that if that, say, happened to Thiago Silva and he gets sent off, we'd be apoplectic with rage. Yeah, because we're Chelsea fans and you're always going to be apoplectic of rage when when decisions go against your team. Um, Decisions going against other teams, yeah, of course, it's worth a mention and we're mentioning it. But, you know, I don't care. (laughs) I genuinely don't. It's like, good, good. Because I do believe in the sort of karmic nature of football where what goes around comes around. There's, There's as many bad decisions that have been given against Chelsea uh, than there are that we've benefited from. You know that that that's what happens. It, it is a roundabout. What goes around comes around. Um, so so yes, unfortunate for him. But you know what? That's football. I'm sure down the line we're going to get one of those against us. It just happens. But you know, in answer to your question, let's please get some consistency about what the rule is. There you go. And uh, lastly, on penalties, uh, and the last moment from this game is the commentators were frantically searching around for who had ever scored a hat-trick of penalties before. Um, I was really rooting for another foul so Timo could do it. Um, do you know who did it? No, no I, I wouldn't. I would, I would be guessing completely in the dark. I mean, I would imagine it would okay. be, you know, I would imagine it would be one of the, the top, top, players so you know a Messi or a Ronaldo or something no it was John Walk for Ipswich what (laughs) what in the Champions League in the European Cup no, I don't think it was in the Champions League. I just in football. Oh, in football, generally. So I thought it was just going to be in the European Cup. Yeah, no. um, Actually, it might have been in the Cup Winners' Cup. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, it was John Walk for whoever cares. Anyway, with that, it's time for us to go to the break, and then we'll be back to talk about the Sheffield United game. Here we go. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct... Something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen. Check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. Okay, Andy, we're back. Now, the last game before the infernal international break. It was a tricky home game against Sheffield United. Last year, this was a start of a poor period for us, but um, luckily, this time it proved to be different. Were you a bit nervous about Sheffield United? Are you, or are you starting to get your, your puffed-up feathers back up and, and going, hold on, 
we've got a pretty decent side here. A bit of both, really. I'm always nervous, always, because I know that the kind of team we are and the kind of team we always have been is that you know we can you know drop you know drop points against teams that we shouldn't, um, and we certainly have against this team. So I'm always a little bit nervous, uh, you know, whoever we play. But I had perhaps more confidence. Because just looking at Sheffield United's position in the table, you know, very much, you know, at the bottom of the table. Um, and uh, and our recent run of particularly clean sheets, I, I was a little bit more confident. But I never go, I never go into games. I've never gone into games thinking it's a banker at all. Um, but I was pleased with the with the side that we put out. One change, uh, Kovacic coming in for Jorginho, uh, Havertz still in uh, quarantine because of COVID. So, you know, it was a consistent side that we knew that could perform. Um, and, yeah, so so it was boding well. But, yeah, are you? Were you confident? No, never. I can't help it. Uh, even when we were the finest side in the land, I was always... Uh, there was a, probably a brief moment where I thought, yeah, we'll win today. Um, but on the probably whole, yeah, 2000, years of damage. 2005 under Mourinho at yeah. the bridge, you know, you're thinking we probably won't concede. You know, that's, you know, because we, we didn't, did we? So you, yeah. do, you do get... you do, do. I did have a, you know, a sort of we're not going to lose a home game. But I, I'm always worried, you know, always worried. <laughs> I think yeah. if you're not no. a real football fan if you're not. No, exactly. You know, so uh, so yeah. I it was a, a, a sluggish start from us, which uh, mm. maybe you know it's just a build up of games and things. And that that corner they got the goal from. I mean, to be fair, Kante and Zayek, I have no idea what they were doing, trotting back into the penalty area where they shouldn't have been going anyway, with their back to to the corner. I well, mean, that was really basic stuff, wasn't it? Well, they 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 both turned their backs, didn't they? I mean, it's something that when they do their post-mortem on the game at the training ground I'm sure they're going to get bollocked for it because it was you know for two players that are you know that are so experienced to turn their back at a corner and then find themselves both going for the same man and the easy reverse pass to I mean still had a lot of work to do but the the easy reverse pass into space to allow the guy to pick his cross that you know then pinged into the ball and you know decent finish by McGoldrick who only ever seems to score against us um you know disappointing and unfortunate but I think a case of of sloppiness rather than systemic problems which you know if this had been seven games ago we would have turned around and said this is a, a systemic problem based in coaching and you know it's a it's a major flaw in our team this was just two players switching off um and and sloppy and i can deal with that uh, you know because that that's a mistake and mistakes happen yeah and also it did seem to i don't know spark us into action I actually like the fact that the the goalless record is, is now gone. You know, it's 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 one of those things. You know, it's going to go at some time. You just don't want it to be, say, against Tottenham or Arsenal, one of those. So I actually don't care. It's gone. We can just carry on now. It's not a surprise that we don't concede that many goals now. Yeah, That's fine care. for me. I, I don't really care if we concede goals as long as we score more. Um, I mean that. That's not strictly true. I do can I do care if we can see goals, but the principle is when we went Sloppy one down. Goals. When when yeah exactly when when we went one down, I wasn't worried 
a because it was early in the game, um, and you know it was only nine minutes in, ten minutes in, um, and I thought you know you still got eighty minutes to, to do this, and I felt that we would. And the first twenty minutes were were really sluggish. We weren't moving the ball quickly. We were a bit susceptible to their press. We sh- we didn't get on the front foot. We didn't stamp our authority or our personality on the game. Um, but after that, we did. Um, and when Abraham uh, put us ahead on 24 minutes, it, it just felt like the whole the whole game changed and pivoted, uh, and we suddenly became incredibly dominant for the rest of the game. Yeah, absolutely. It, it seemed to spur us into action. It gave us the impetus we needed because we didn't look back from that moment. And I have to say, here's another word. It was conductor for the for the last game. Zayek was imperious. Mm. I mean, oh my gosh, that 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 ball down the line for Kovacic was just. I mean, you, you couldn't have hit a more perfect pass. It was it was incredible. It was really the assist. Of the assist, wasn't it? It was just sublime. It was brilliant, and he was brilliant, and everything that we heard about uh, in his game against Wren, he built on and amplified, and that was a superb and dominant performance by a player that is going to be a revelation in the Premier League this season, I absolutely guarantee it. His assist record is insane. Um, I think he'll score goals as well, Um, but his ability to unlock those low block defences is the piece of the puzzle that we've been missing for years, because... Teams have come to us and they've played a low block, they've put 11 men behind the ball and they've said, break us down. And we haven't had the players to, to pick that lock and now we have. And I think that's going to make teams think about how they set up against us. It's going to make teams think about whether that is a strategy that that is going to pay dividends because if they sit there and just invite us on, we will score. We, will, we do have the talent to score. Um, and the question they've got to ask themselves is, can we score against them? Um, and that was always a case when we were vulnerable defensively, but those vulnerabilities are becoming less and less now. So I think that's why I say we're able to compete now, because not only can we defend uh, against teams that want to press us, but we can unlock those low block defences from teams that want to come and and, 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 and defend against us. So it's, it's really exciting. And Zayek, Zayek and I think Havertz as well, those two players are the players that, that are going to unlock those defences. Defenses. We've got finishers in Werner. We've got players that can uh, create magic in Pulisic. Um, but I think Havertz and, and Zayek's ability to pick that pass and to, to take intelligence decisions in those in those situations, I think, is really going to transform the way that we play football. Yeah, absolutely. I, I also think people like Mason Mount will provide such great cover and intelligence as well you can see why mount he's not a glory hunter he he just sticks to his job and he knows when to come and when to go when to sit back and i think he backs up these players and he's tireless he yeah, runs he, he's, as far he's, exactly, hard. he's what i said about Jorginho. he's a team player he doesn't play for mason mount he plays for the team and you need you need players like that in your team you need you need them, yeah. and you're absolutely right uh, mason mount is a is a player like kante that that does that in this team you know there are players out there you know you could argue maybe Timo or Zayek or Pulisic you know they are players that are playing with flair you know their individual skill is what we need here their individual decision making their freer role is is allowing them to play more for I mean I know they play for their team but more for their own individual 
skill sets whereas players like Mason Mount, Kante, Jorginho they are very much soldiers in that team and they provide the foundations to allow those players to express themselves um, and you know it's great and Mason Mount is not is not a, a, a defence unlocker that's my point um, you know he's somebody that gives the foundations to allow Zayek Havertz particularly to unlock defences that's that's yeah that, but that, what that's he does point. He provides the ball, say, from the left-hand side, 40 yards over to Zayek. He's, he's almost... He's yeah, but that's my point, ne- Kerry. That's what I'm saying. Play, he provides yeah, the foundations exactly. to allow them to do that. I don't think Mount on his own will play... I mean, he will do on occasion, but I don't think his, he's going to play that kind of killer reverse pass or he's going to you know, make that run or, or do that thing that's going to unlock a defence in the same way those other players are. He is, you're right, use the word. He's an enabler for those players to do that. And that's not diminishing his role at all. It's an incredibly important role in the team and that's why I think he gets the nod over a lot of other players because he does that you are right I just want to focus on the fact that you have players now that we didn't have before that can unlock defenses in a way that we haven't had for a long time yeah I I think he's now got his role defined in this team and it's something we talked about before what is his role I think we found it now um and it's it's exciting I thought also Kovacic coming in uh he spent more time in the box or in their box than he's done in the last two years altogether. He looked like a player released and he looked as though he had some swagger about him and was playing decisive balls and and really attacking where it was necessary. I was really impressed with Kovacic. Yeah, Kovacic played well. It was obviously his assist for Abraham's goal, uh, the first goal, uh, cut it back from the byline. Um, he had an opportunity himself later in the game when he was one-on-one and we all thought, oh God, I wish it was someone else because he... <laughs> You know, he's not the player you want one-on-one with a goalkeeper because he's not, he just isn't a natural goal scorer. Maybe that's something that his game will evolve into, but at the moment it's not. What he does give us is that Essien-like forward momentum, you know, where he picks the ball up and he runs into space and, and gives and goes. And that gets us onto the front foot. And it's important, I think, both him and Mason Mount provide that role where get the ball, get us onto the front foot. Suddenly we are in a press. We are pressing. You know, we are forcing a team back. We are putting a team on their back foot that then allows our flair players to work their magic and I think that that's what's been missing is that transition from getting the ball transitioning into putting the opposition team onto the back foot and then playing our football we haven't been able to do that today and now we are and that's a great thing to see yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, I guess the other great moments there were, I mean, Chilwell's goal was funny because I don't think he knew too much about it. It was just a great pass, which was guaranteed to hit him on the thigh or whatever part of the anatomy it was to go in from Zayek. But yeah, um, but, but the thing about that is, is, yes, you're absolutely right. He knew nothing about it. It came off his thigh, but he made that run. He made that run oh, yeah. and, and, and he put the back post under pressure and he instinctively knew that, that to gamble at the back post, something might happen. Now, I'm not sure he knew whether that would hit him or he just was taking a defender away. But the fact that he made that run, I think, just shows real game intelligence. Well, and he said also, didn't he, afterwards, which maybe he shouldn't have told anyone, it should have been top secret, but he said that they've been working on 
getting him to go to the back post all the time from these sort of positions. Yeah. He said, he, Frank's been telling me the importance of getting there. And he said, so, and he said, yeah, it wasn't the best goal I've ever scored, but it, it was a goal, you know, and he wouldn't have scored it if he hadn't been there. Absolutely spot on. You've got to be in it I to win it, he, mate. You've got to be in those situations. Yeah, and too often, do you remember those, those times when uh, players weren't attacking the penalty area? Do you remember that? Well, particularly, I yeah, think it was yeah. the, the period with Diego Costa wasn't attacking the six-yard box and the balls were coming across and he was stuck on the penalty spot or, you know, and other players. And it was driving managers mad. It was driving the fans mad that we were creating these opportunities where players just weren't in or, or making the runs to the positions where we knew they would score goals. And, you know, we're starting to find some thinking behind this. You know, now that we've got players that we know can deliver quality, whether it's Reese James, whether it's Chilwell, whether it's uh, Hakim Zayek, Havertz, or any of these other players that we know can deliver. You know, Jorginho is delivering some, some amazing uh, passes as well. You know, making the runs is really important. And that's something Werner will give you. Werner will make those runs. He's, he's a really intelligent player that understands where to be. Havertz is is a very Lampard-like player in terms of arriving late. Chilwell has obviously been told to get to the back post. Abraham is now attacking the front post a lot more aggressively than he has done. So, you know, things are starting to, to, to... gel and come together and players are understanding you know where they need to be to capitalize on the delivery that we've now got yeah i think you're spot on there um their roles are now defined and i think that's important um and then you know i mean i have to say in some ways another such a beautiful goal was was silver's goal i mean okay zuma blocked somebody off and people that's not allowed anymore well okay we got away with it but oh boy oh boy the way silver went the stop start got rid of his marker went went again and then leapt i mean it was just such a classic dare i say again for the second time in the show imperious goal did you read? I, I loved it. it. It was brilliant. He made he, he made up a lot of ground to get there as well. Um, yeah. You know, to, to to cut across the front man, and, an, an amazing ball from Zayek. I mean, just absolutely inch perfect. Glanced into the goal, and that was the game. I don't know if you read that stat um, about which player. Uh, there's only one player that was older uh, than Thiago Silva getting his first goal in the league for the Blues at an older age than him that we had. So a Chelsea player. Uh, uh, Glenn Hoddle. Oh, you read it. I didn't read it. I'm wise. Come on, Kerry. Not Dennis. <laughs> Kerry. Well, well I do know Don't stuff. tell lies to the listeners. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, so All Glenn right, Hoddle. I read it. 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 <laughs> 36 years and 150 days got his first goal in the competition for the Blues at an older age than the Brazilian. And, and he became only the sixth oldest player to score for Chelsea in the, in the Premier League. At 36 years and 46 days. And it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, and I'll absolutely hold my hands up. I, I couldn't initially really see the sense of signing Thiago Silva at this age. Um, you know, having witnessed so many mercenary players come through and, and not perform for Chelsea. You know, whether that's Gonzalo Higuain or, you know, other players that have come through that you think, why? Why are we even signing these players? I don't care. They're not invested. They're only here for the money. They've lost a yard of pace. What, what's the point? But I have to say I was incredibly wrong because what he's provided to this team in terms of leadership, solidity, organisation, charisma and now goals is amazing and you know I know this is going to be a short term fix because you know 
just general biology tells us that your body's going to start to degrade from the, from this point onwards. Um, but you know, let, let's really love and enjoy Tiago Silva while he's here because he's he's a a great example that occasionally signing experience works fantastically. I, th- I think it does, and I, you know, I've I've loved him from the start. I, I think he's got something because. As I've said, I think he coaches on the on the field. And the one thing I would say also is look at Zuma. Zuma week by week becomes a better player alongside Thiago Silva. Um, I was just watching the way Thiago Silva. There was a moment in in the game against Sheffield United where the ball was in the middle of the park and Thiago Silva could see what was happening. He scuttles back and he's got both his arms outstretched and pulling the whole defence with him. And they all, to a man, are in the most perfect line. And they will learn from this so that they can actually become leaders and they can enable other players to get better. And that's what it's about. Whether he's there for one year, two years or three years, you know, it's probably going to be he'll be there next season and then it'll be handover at some point through the season. Who knows? But while we've got him, I agree with you. Just love Thiago Silva because he's fantastic. I mean, testament yeah, is the exactly. fact that, that we're now 11 matches without defeat, and it's the longest unbeaten run since November 2018. So, you know, the yeah. fact that we've got that calmness and solidity and just strength in, in defence is, is a big testament to him coming in because it wasn't there before him. Yeah. OK, and lastly... Timo would not go quietly. You thought, oh, well, he's had one of those games. And then we had the shock of Timo Werner in a one-on-one, missing what looked like, probably for him, an easy lob. Even he looked shocked, which I loved. And then two minutes later, the ball rebounds, ridiculous styly into him. Sorry, I'm not going to make a mistake with this one. Lashed it into the net. And uh, <laughs> it, was a, it was a perfect way to finish the day, wasn't it? Four goals and one assist in his last four games. Um, you know, as I said, he's going to score a ton of goals for us. That that was interesting, the lob, wasn't it? Because the camera cut oh. to Zayek, who had played the past, and Zayek <laughs> looked shocked and disappointed as well. Um, and, and I think we all were because that was meat and drink for for a player like uh, for a player like Werner. But what was interesting about the second goal? He, he was pretty close to Tammy, wasn't he? Tammy and him were playing in that kind of front two situation. And if you look at his reaction compared to Tammy's reaction. He was almost like a sprinter being two yards off the block. He just anticipated it immediately. Um, And I just think he has this kind of dead-eyed finish in situations where he doesn't have to think. And maybe with the lob, he just had to think about it for a split second. Whereas that one, it was just like hit and and it was in, wasn't it? So, yeah, it was was brilliant. And and I just don't think you're going to keep him out of games wherever he plays. Whether he plays down the middle uh, or whether he plays coming in off the left for me it doesn't really matter I think he'll just as long as he's scoring goals he'll be happy I mean there's some you know some questions about whether he's happy playing out on the left but the fact of the matter is if he's banging them in he won't care because he's all about the goals all about the goals yeah. that, that's that's all he wants and you know that's what I want in a striker I don't care if he's a team player yeah. I don't care if he plays for the team just score goals that's your job yeah, well, unless you mess it up and don't give it when really you had no option. But he doesn't look greedy in that way. He looks greedy to score goals, but he doesn't look greedy with his own decision-making. Uh, that's what I like about him. I think I think he's classy. Yeah. All right, so look, we've got I mean, this... I, will, I, just will, I will caveat that by saying I don't not think he's a team player. I do think he's a team player. But the fact of the matter is he, he's, he's all about the goals and, and, and his own personal happiness will come when he's scoring goals. I think he'll do a job for a team. I don't, I don't, he doesn't strike me as being a selfish player. 
I just think his happiness comes from goals. Sorry, that just that clarity. And that makes me happy. (laughs) All right, well, look, um, we've got this ridiculous international break, and in about five weeks we come back, and it's Newcastle away. Um, Funny side... Never quite sure what to make of them. The, I, I never really enjoy our games with them, um, but I am hoping we'll come back from the international break without injuries um, and we can really get our top side out there. And if we do, I'm going to go for the prediction first time. I'm going to go for uh, 2-0. What about you? Yeah, I think that's a good shout. I, look, I, Newcastle solidly mid-table at the moment, 13th. Uh, they have... Done well in some games, looked poor in other games. They look like they've got a little bit about them. I don't think they've got enough quality up front to really threaten us unless we give them goals by making mistakes. And I, don't, I certainly don't think they're defensively good enough to cope with what we've got going forward. So I think we have to we have to think we're going to win this game. Um, I, I'm actually going to be more confident this week. I'm going to say we're going to win 3-0. Good on you. That's what we like to hear. All right. Well, that's that's it. Um, I would just say we still have, because not everyone got the answers right, uh, we still have a pair, only one pair left of the Chelsea face masks. So I'm going to put out a tie-break question, and you can get the answer to us in any way, shape, or form that you find possible to contact us, whether it's Twitter, Instagram, um, in the street it doesn't matter um who was the last australian player to play for us right well that's it andy um we should give everyone all the details how they can keep in touch or get in touch with us over to you so social media you can uh follow us on twitter at at chelsea podcast uh you can follow me on at mr a saunders you can follow kerry on at Kerry Levy, C E R I L E V Y. Uh, on Instagram, it's at the Chels Podcast. Um, you can follow Kerry on at Kerry Levy One, C E R I L E V Y One, and you can follow me on at One True Saunders. DMs are open uh, on Twitter at the Chels Podca- uh, Chelsea Podcast. So maybe that's the best one to send your answers to. DM us on Twitter at at. Chelsea podcast. I think it's probably the best, isn't it, Kerry? Wouldn't you say? Yeah. But you know, all, all other me. all other methods are, as Kerry said, acceptable. Yeah, absolutely. Alrighty, well, that's it for another week, Andy. Thank you very much. Enjoy the international break. Ugh. I know you look forward to it with Ugh. relish. Yeah. yeah <laughs> pff, well, man, whatever. <laughs> all right, mate. Hope your toothache gets better, mate. Thank you, and I'll speak to you very, very soon. Bye. All right. Cheers, everyone. Wasn't that a great podcast? Now, if you've got 90 seconds spare in your day, come and listen to ours. It's called What Has He Said Now? and is available wherever you got this podcast. You're going to lose a number of people to the flu. This is a Playback Media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at chelseapodcast.net. Sports Social Podcast Network.